Okay. One, two, three. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Mixing it up. Yeah, Let out a little bit of frustration. Oh, well. You're gonna have you're gonna have a whole episode of that this time. Um, you know? Good. I need it. <clears throat> um, I'm, I'm Ryan. What are we ripping it? Oh, I'm Harland. <laughs> this is Dottler's Philosophy Podcast, episode whatnot. into tonight <sighs> we're gonna rip into quote over end quote population and um uh yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of that kind of stuff and i'm uh but we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit of structure and then we're gonna kind of send it away and we're just gonna let Harlan <laughs> have a have an emotional sesh tonight or something. Um, Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That is it. Um, Harlan, did you know that there's like almost seven point seven billion people on Earth today? I know that that is often quoted as a fact. I have no idea if it's accurate or not. I haven't met very many, but that's what they say. And they ought to know. They're fucking ought to. Is that too many? Uh, I I don't know. That's it depends, right? Because like if you're in in Britain, what we would call a billion in America in Britain, that's just like a thousand million or something. Uh right? Isn't that what isn't that what we also mean? What are you talking about? I don't think they say billion until it gets to be like a much larger number than we would say anyway look it up that's interesting uh, all right sure and it, uh, there's 7.7 american billion people in the world not billion americans no not billion americans but one day we'll we'll get there that's our dream you will all be one of us <laughs> right yeah that's it you know, and Starbucks and McDonald's finally merge. That's the singularity, I think. What do they um, call that again? Dystopia? All right. Uh, beginning some of the little structural parts of this 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 episode. I always want to say like this evening, but someone could be listening like eh, during breakfast. 
I think they know how to translate that. Did I? Anyway. Um, <laughs> that's what everybody gets to say, right? You know, maybe, <laughs> I, but our listeners are so intelligent. Yeah, right. I don't know. I'm just thinking of like some kind of SNL skit where the person's listening and they hear this evening and they have a bowl of cereal and they do a huge spit take and they run back to bed or whatever. All right. Are you campaigning for a new job? That was a pretty good one. <laughs> is it? I don't know if Lauren is listening, but. <laughs> I, that, he, Of course he is. All right. So. All this shit about overpopulation began with this guy named Thomas Malthus, who was a English cleric. And I don't know all the exact details. I didn't I was gonna look into it because I've read it somewhere before and I was just like, yeah, fuck it, it's not important. But now all of a sudden I'm like, I'm gonna tell you about it. I'm not prepared to tell you about it, but um anyway, I, I it was he was you know, living during a time when I guess the clergy was like encouraged to explore, you know, things beyond just, you know, their worship of God and stuff like that. Um, and so there were lots of different clerics that were all around Britain that were doing lots of different things. Maybe some were into like architecture and others were into, you know, I don't know, different farming practices or making beer or I don't know. Um, Altar boys, maybe? Yeah, probably. Uh, but, you know, I don't think this was... Cath- I don't think these were Catholics necessarily, right? God so doesn't they'd... discriminate. That's right. So, uh, Malthus was into, like, I guess, like, the, <laughs> like the, the 18th century version of what we're doing. Um, and so, he got into just thinking about uh the the problems of society and basing them out of you know just you know a more numerical approach and so uh he wrote an essay i think he was about maybe 32 or something like that called an essay on the principle of population so he's you know pretty young guy um and uh this essay has been you know, it's super influential. Um, and many people, I think you say the name Malthus, even people who don't know what the hell he's related to, it's like, you know, it's like saying Einstein or Darwin or, you know, any of these kind of just last names. People just mm. seem to kind of know. Person of importance, <laughs> the, sort of, you know. I think you might be overrated. Anyway, sure. I know I'm Einstein absolutely... and Malthus. Anyway, yeah. People know the name. Some people. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm gonna throw you off. Maybe you don't. <laughs> it's, it's happening. <laughs> I know. I'm like, you're like, I don't know how many minutes we're into this thing, but you're already like nitpicking. It's like seven minutes in. Good, I don't know. I work. thought chimps found that to be. It builds camaraderie. It's you know. I'm just grooming your verbal nits. <laughs> You like? Are you putting them in like little like braids? Anyway, uh, so so anyway, he wrote this this essay on the principle of population, seventeen ninety eight, and I think the big part that for him 
kind of stands out is this notion that there'd be some kind of surplus human beings in, you know, in societies, you know, and, um, you know, let's say his thesis was, and I quote, the power of the population is indefinitely greater than the power in the earth to produce subsistence for man. So, you know, he's saying that um, the growth of humans in numbers, uh, it's, it's a, it's, it grows at a faster rate than we can uh, produce enough food and uh, have enough space to live and to, you know, support these uh, growing numbers. So the rates are different. And one was called a, you know, it's called, he, he called it the geometrical ratio, but essentially it's, it's like a, uh, a growth where, you know, you kind of double, you can double or triple or whatever. Um, and so, you know, you can become greater in number very quickly uh, in relation to, say, what he called the arithmetic ratio. And the arithmetic ratio is essentially just a very steady, you know, it's the same amount that increases at every interval of whatever the time unit is, say, for every generation, or you could say for every year or something like that. So that was his thing, was that the rates are different. And so uh, what happens when the rate of growth in the population of people, it, you know, overshoots what can be supported. So we'll call that what can be supported shit, like uh, the population's carrying capacity. Um, the environment's anyway, carrying, I, yeah. right? The what? The environment's carrying capacity? You said the population's you carrying capacity. But the population is that which is being carried by something. And whatever it is that's doing the carrying is what has the capacity, right? So if we call it yeah, the planet or... Just as... Yeah, that's fine. Um, we still associate that as like a number of people. And, and so, yeah, maybe I slipped to the tongue there. But You're saying um, that is how scientists this idea... refer to it? The population's carrying capacity? The carrying capacity of the population, I think, is generally what I was trying to say. I don't like it, but I'll accept it. Oh, fucking Christ. Anyway, so this was influential. This this essay was very influential on people like Darwin. And this guy, Patrick Matthew, and Russell Wallace, Alfred Russell Wallace. I always just say Russell Wallace. I don't know why. And then this is in particular regarding a mechanism that Darwin called natural selection. Um, and these three individuals, Darwin, Matthew, and Wallace, all somewhat came up with the idea at different times. Um, first Matthew, then Darwin, then Wallace. And... Um, you know, it's just one of those, I mean, one of those papers. If you ever take a biology 101 class, I guess you'll likely at least hear about it. If you read widely enough today and you think about the problems that the Earth faces, you'll probably hear about the guy Malthus. Um, uh, but anyway, so 
It was sort of an alarmist kind of essay as well, because the, the idea was that there's, that this is a real problem. Um, you know, uh, you know, he talks about how, you know, for instance, um, you know, if he even at this time talks about how people would, they're not going to want to leave their families and their, you know, the connections that they have, the, you know, to other people and to the place that they're from, you know, um, they're not going to want to go elsewhere unless likely there's some issue where they are regarding subsistence and all that. Um, or there's potentially the, you know, a great advantage someplace else or both, I guess you could also say. And so that was sort of the idea was like, you know, um, you know, that's sort of an additional factor that kind of was sort of a point that he was using to argue for this, um, for this idea. And at times he talked about the Americas and how the Americas were growing like gangbusters because they didn't have nothing but lots of land and lots of prospects and all that. Whereas in England, you know, they're, you know, in continental Europe running out of land and, um, yeah, anyway, so he may have mentioned, and I'm not for some reason remembering this, but he may have mentioned the idea that, uh, you know, like the French revolution and things like that. Um, but anyway, so this alarm is sounded again in the mid 20th century or mid to late 20th century by this conservation biologist, Paul Ehrlich. And he wrote this book in 68 called the population. Bomb. Um, and, uh, and it's funny because I have the book here and on the cover, at least the one that's like an 1986 version or something goes while you are reading these words three children are dying of starvation and 24 more babies are being born so that's sort of like you know very uh scary and all that more scary science i don't know why i keep bringing these up whatever so yeah that was sort of the the you know the main thing from this paul ehrlich guy he did have, do you mind if I just read from like the very beginning of his book? I like quotes. Okay. He goes, um, I have understood the population explosion intellectually for a long time. I came to understand it emotionally one stinking hot night in Delhi a few years ago. My wife and daughter and I were returning to our hotel in an ancient taxi. The seats were hopping with fleas. The only functional gear was third. As we crawled through the city, we entered a crowded slum area. The temperature was well over a hundred, and the air was a haze of dust and smoke. The streets seemed alive with people. People eating, people washing, people sleeping, people visiting, arguing and screaming, people thrusting their hands through the taxi window, begging people defecating and urinating, people clinging to buses, people hurting animals, people, 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 people. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, you know, a, a, it's like an episode of like Parts Unknown, like, by, you know, the late Anthony Bourdain or whatever. You know, it's like instead, yeah. you know, Ehrlich's like, this is horrible. And like Bourdain would be like, you know, looking for another bite to eat somewhere. This is vibrant and fun. And let's, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, this is sort of the beginning of the book and all that. And so you can kind of get the sense of sort of where, 
the 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 tenor of the story is going. Um, he seems like he would fit right in with our current cable news style punditry. Yeah, yeah, very much. And I think I think this he was um, encouraged to write this book by David Browers, who was I think if not the first one of the first uh, presidents of the Sierra Club, you know. And so there was a conscientiousness about this kind of stuff. And so this book came at, you know, it was like the right time for it or whatnot. Uh, Criticisms again, though, are that this is just Malthus redux, you know? Um, So, uh, you know, and then, you know, just for people who, here's something for you. You were like, no one's going to know Malthus. And I understand they won't. Uh, many people might not, but, um, you know, it, it's like, you know, uh, you know, that movie, that latest Avengers movie kind of plays on, I don't know if you saw that. I saw it. It plays on this idea of like, well, what are we going to do? Cause it's, you know, the universe is overpopulated in this story, you know, and this guy's trying this, the main bad guy, God, why can't I think of his name? Thanos? Thanos. Sounds like a um, pharmaceutical company. Um, you know, he's, uh, you know, trying to collect all these gems that somehow will then give him this power to kill half the people in the universe, just at random. And um, that's sort of like his check against this untamed population growth and I do wonder if some of this story is from some of these times when these books and things were being put out, like the population bomb. But also, or is there anything you want to talk about? I mean, to mention or ask or or uh, refute? Best superhero movie ever. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, there's fine. Carry on. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there was, it seems... Likely that there may have been an influence there. So, you know, Malthus is making it into the uh, cinematic universe. Um, so about around this same time, there was this guy, Garrett Hardin, who was another biologist, um, population biologist, I believe. And he had this idea called the tragedy of the commons. And um, it was, a, you know, I hate to say it, but that's sort of like something that you read in like liberal arts classes and stuff like that it's you know it's tragedy of the commons generally the idea is that somehow i mean and this sort of falls in line with you know game theory to an extent but you know it's the idea that let's say there's a commons that we all take our cows to and we can all only put so many cows per whatever the unit of space that we have um been given or provided or whatever it is you can only have so many cows on this commons and some dick decides to add one extra cow and then you notice it. Maybe I don't. And then you're like, well, fuck that next tomorrow I'm bringing an extra cow, you know, or whatever. And then I notice there's more cows. And so it's this idea. And then before you know it, you ruin everything. Um, and it's sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, just the idea that like people's laziness and need for things gets a little out of hand. And I guess in some ways this sort of has this same 
it may not be exactly the same as sort of tangential, but the notion that, you know, crowding um, leads to somewhat selfish behavior and that sort of selfish behavior, that overcrowdedness might give you this deli experience that Paul Ehrlich had in 1968 or whatever it was, you know, where everything's just very grim and dystopic or whatever. What's dystopic? Is that anyway? But, it, you know, it's it's fear and frustration and maybe even to an extent hopelessness. So, yeah, we're over-consuming and wasting the land, wasting the food. You know, there's food waste, there's movies about that shit, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, we're all going to die. And so, you know, we could talk about some other things, some of the more hopeful things. But I just wanted to kind of dwell on that last part. But not the, we're all going to die, but the part where... Um, I'm 80 years old, uh, grant given that I actually make it to 80 and I'm getting on a city bus and my legs are fucking tired. And none of these young punks going to college, uh, you know, to get to their class with their headphones on and their whatever, um, are going to let me sit down, you know, like I, it's these little things. Like I think about, like, I wonder like, yeah, probably there'll be nice people and stuff like that, but just, you kind of start to think about uh, how people's behavior starts to change when they start to feel more and more perhaps like less like they're part of any, a community and more like they're part, they're just some number. Um, and we could talk about, Oh, you know, capitalism and shit like that. But I think in addition, like there's just the natural, like, you know, bumping elbows. You don't, experience this like ever anymore in my opinion but you know for the most part but i do you know <laughs> and you just see it more and more uh just more people um you know is is you know it's it, i don't know is the commons even more tragic you know with more people you know and you know i think that's the main main thing and, and i think one of the main motivations is that you and i have been doing this for a little while now and um, <clears throat> it kind of just sort of the doing the podcast and sending it out and doing all that kind of stuff reminds me of how many people there are out there. And it's kind of strange. <laughs> it's just an odd thing, even though I'm familiar with it and I've thought about it before, it's still never like, I don't know, ceases to make me pause or something. It never ceases to? Yeah, just the number. That's what you're saying? Feeling like, yeah, feeling like a super, you know, small, you know, just, it's a, it's another one of those big things, you know, that makes, you know, it's like, oh, the, you know, sometimes people go, oh, the grandeur of the universe, it makes me feel so small, and this speck of dust or whatever. This is a little different. This makes you feel like, you know, not only are you speck of dust, but you're kind of like a cog in the wheel. Now get turning. You know, it's sort of that kind of like, like you're a little wedge and your job is to just roll over. It's more that. It's a little more depressing in that respect, in my opinion. So this is a, that part sounds like a tool of the hustlers. And of course, we know that hustle is depressing. But anytime you get around to saying phrases like, come on, you're a gear, get turning. That sounds like hustle talk to me. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm 
um, just the kind of person who's got that kind of a guilty conscience, and, and this is just idiosyncratic to myself, or um, what? I don't know. But couched in the context of overpopulation um, or just, you know, greater increases in population density, it sure does make me start to kind of feel it. And I don't feel it in like a yay kind of way. I I feel it in the way that I, I get the sense that like my opportunities are limited. It's kind of like, you know, when you first ever have an original idea and it's totally not original and you feel deflated um, when you find out that it isn't, you know, um, it's that kind of deflated. Right, like you come up with something and then you put that thing out there and someone else tells you, oh, yeah, that's Hume. He said that 250 years ago or whatever. Yeah, that feeling. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like um, maybe it's that this is the last vestige of sense of purpose or something that I have as, you know, I reach the middle part of my life because I'll live to be 80 or whatever, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, I wonder if this is just a, a point in time for me or if this is something that is not, and that this is something that, that people even at a younger age might right now feel you know, um, they're like, you know, they're, I, I'm tired. I want to sit on this, you know, seat in this bus and goddamn old people, you know, and I don't want to get up, you know, like, and I've, I've rode city buses plenty and seen plenty of people, you know, I, I've had, I've seen where the bus driver has to like say, all right, give up the seat. And if it's crowded, bus driver just keeps on driving. Everybody just keeps on sitting or, you know, pregnant woman gets on and bus is rocking back and forth and she's, you know, going back and forth and her belly's hitting the poles or whatever. It's just, I don't know. It's just that sense of like, I just want to get off the bus, you know? And I don't know. I just got to make do with where I am right uh, as soon as I get off the bus, you know, or whatever. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you feel any of this, and this will be like the shortest episode ever. <laughs> you're like, half an hour, you know, listen to Ryan. Go, where? But I don't know. I don't know if you've thought this or if you always feel this way or if you care. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the nature of your ennui about it is. Because the phrase that I don't resonate with was the part about when I consider that I am only one of eight billion, that my response to that is, oh, well... I better get to work being a gear turning and doing my job and playing my role. Because my tendency, when I consider the immensity of the population and my corresponding diminution, is more, well, why fucking do anything? I Give me a bag of Doritos and a basketball game. I'm out. Thanks. You do it. There's enough of the rest of you. Yeah, I, I I guess one of my issues with talking about stuff is I maybe don't bring everything in when I'm talking about something, and I maybe flit around a little. And so you got hung up on somehow I'm 
uh, feeling like I have to get going. I feel the guilt of that. That doesn't necessarily mean that I do it. Um, I feel deflated and all like you were just describing as well. I feel like grab the bag of Doritos. But I noticed that like there is, I think, more of like, rather than being like, well, I'm just like a little speck on a speck of dust. You know, I'm a speck on a speck in the universe. And isn't that a marvelous thing? I, you know, and then, you know, the alarm goes off and you get up and brush your teeth in the morning, put on your work clothes and off to work you go. And you're just like, Hey Jim, you know, did you know, we're just a speck on a speck and you know, whatever. <laughs> this is, seems different. This seems more like if you were to try and do something, you know, really, it almost seems like you end up, it's like you come to the realization, this is what it feels like to me. It's like you wake up and come to the realization that you're just an oarman on this Viking ship. And somehow you kind of had the sense that you were just rowing a boat by yourself out there and you're going to go back to harbor and say, hey, look at the fish I caught. And now it's, if anything, maybe it's this one dude who's at the front of the thing with his leg up and he's like, this way to the villages to pillage or whatever. And you're like, oh, fuck, I'm just like, I'm just pushing this thing. You know, I could just stop rowing and jump off because I know that if I stop rowing, they'd like kill me anyway or whatever. But that's sort of the feeling. That's sort of the kind of the sense that I get when I think about like us, you know, talking about doing this thing and, um, you know, looking for, you know, to see if there's different ways we could get this little podcast out there and stuff. Just, because you know um i think that's the cut that's the wheel that's the being you know you're like oh and then you look and you see all these other people have podcasts out there and i guess i never really thought about it i guess i follow some but not very many you know what i mean like and you're like oh you know i don't want to be you know i hope we're not the same thing as you know another podcast or whatever and I guess that's kind of what I was thinking. You know, it's like there's just so many of us out there. We're all on the Internet and we're all just kind of putting our thing together and we're throwing it out there. And and uh, and and it just kind of brings me back to this notion that there's just tons of us and that here I am just waking up, realizing I'm just an Orman. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is rowing with me, you know. It seems to me that they're also in this is an accompanying negative valence that I don't think it's necessary, though I have a tendency to share it. Could it not be the case that we were more ant-like, more social insect style, more socialist? (laughs) And thinking about that actually buoyed our spirits to think, I'm not the only one engaged in this struggle to try to row this boat forward, but there are a hundred of us. And how how great is it that I am one of this hundred and I'm honored to be a part of something. But we got infected pretty bad from Mammy's knee with this kind of Lockean, de Tocqueville-esque individualist mythos that we need to be somehow special and unique. And if we 
don't succeed in being a Hegelian world historic individual, we are a failure, and we might as well give up our seat to someone else who's going to do a better job. And so there's this crushing responsibility to be important that comes with the individualist memeplex. My thinking about this is that that is just another version of the there's not enough resources. Like, I think that's just manifest in another way. The the idea that there's not enough to go around, you know? So it's more, you know, you're a, you think you're a big fish in a small pond. And so then therefore, you know, because, you know, maybe you think you're some individual, you know, you can be potentially this world historical figure or whatever it was, because the world is this small little pond. You've pretty much been to every little corner. But really, you're just, it's just a little, you know, little uh, impondment, a little slack water. And then there's this, you know, Lake Superior (laughs) all around you. And I think one of the things that I remember hearing people talk about, because I, you know, I mentioned the parts unknown thing. I saw an interview with somebody. Maybe it was one of the cameramen, or I don't remember who it was, but maybe it was on Joe Rogan. Beep, 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 beep. And um, the guy was talking about how, like, actually, when you travel the world, the world just gets bigger, you know? Like, so you don't end up, like, so I think what it is, you just keep finding more and more and more. And um, I think it's that which is the humbling part, is that even your individual story it's not that the individual story now finds itself in a different context and you're not just a little, you know, you're just a, a nobody now. It's just that you realize that it never was, I don't know, maybe I'm just talking at this point, but there's just, you never were quite all the way there and you're not quite sure how you're going to live into retirement. You know, it's that like additional factor. Of like, huh, like, all right, I'm young now and maybe I'm I'm capable of doing some things. But, you know, there's this additional thing of like, well, you better store those nuts away. Get them out of your cheeks. I'm in, into the ground, you little squirrel. You know, like, because, you know, winter's coming, you know. And uh, so there is the individual thing. But that's just sort of like another way of saying better store away some nuts for the winter. To me, anyway, that just seems like it's still resources that are that are scarce and that's the uh, whether or not they are that's the thing that gets in your head not to take us too much back to whatever subscience overpopulation as a concept in and it's ecology or population genetics or what it is and away from psychology which is where it appears we're ending up here as the topic I don't think, though I don't know anything about the scientific thing, just just from a regular old human day-to-day experience, it doesn't seem to me that the Earth is overpopulated with humanity yet. And if you think it is, maybe you need to spend more time 
somewhere north east of Seattle and northwest of New York City or whatever. <laughs> in the vast middle and up through Canada, for example, among other empty spaces on Earth. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. It might Earth might feel overpopulated if you're in a taxi in downtown Delhi or on a bus on Powell in Portland. But it might not feel so much overpopulated if you're on a farm in North Dakota. It's just where we choose to concentrate our habitations. Right? And I mean, the, and you can go into all the stuff about, well, we waste food and we farm inefficiently. We can handle, the earth can still handle it. We can feed and house all of ourselves were we only to do it more intelligently than we do now. Right? You're talking to me? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think uh, that that's a, you know, yeah, that's a different hand in the deck that we talked about that I think gave us the context for this other thing that we've been doing. So you've kind of put it as like, we start out talking about the ecology of the situation and then we've transitioned to the psychology. And that was essentially what I was wanting to do is that, you know, say something to the effect of the ecology has affected my psychology. Um, and, and that's sort of, you know, well, I, was... I guess that's what I was trying to get at is I don't, you might want to think so, but I was asking, I was both suspecting and then asking to, for confirmation that the ecology is still fine with what we're doing so that your psychology is having difficulties here. You shouldn't offload that onto the ecology because as far as the Earth's carrying capacity is concerned, I don't think we've reached it. Well, it might have reached the ability of any of our individual minds to comprehend and deal with the fact that though we each think we're the main character in this story, we also eventually crest the top of the mountain and look across the open expanse and realize, oh shit, we are only a speck. Yeah. Yeah, um... Uh, globally, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, but locally, I think the ecology can still affect your psychology. Um, and, and uh, you know, for the in one direction or the other, right? So you can become depressed and defeated when you're just constantly rubbing up elbows with people and you feel like you can't take three steps without having to acknowledge somebody else coming across and all that kind of shit. Or you can be out in the middle of nowhere and feel like, well, I could just... I could just build a shack right there. No one's going to complain. I'm just going to do it. And then you start to build, frame it out, and you're like, ah, fuck, I'm tired. And you walk away. And like, I don't know. There it is. A, a framed out shack you never actually completed. <laughs> you're just like, I could do any of it. You're like, whatever. I get it. Um, but uh, just trying to think about some of the things you had said. Um Damn it. Well, what about just that? Do you have an opinion on that question? 
we, oh, I about the global? eventually want to get back to psychology. But do you disagree that the Earth is not maxed out yet as far as number of humans riding on the spaceship? Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with, with that. Uh, and, you know, we can talk about that a little if you want. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, do you? <laughs> Is there some uh, scientific fancy stuff you can say about that in general? What, what is overpopulation? Is the Malthus bumper sticker something like more are born than can survive? Is that That's a phrase? That's Darwin. That's attributed. Oh, Darwin. But, All right. Uh, well, hold on, uh, hold on, hold on. I mean, Malthus thing, yeah. uh, the overpopulation idea is, he, you know, he talks about like, you know, you can imagine, you know, being on an island and you have some kind of founding population and you need so much food to support the people present at any given time. And so um, the rate at which you expand out and produce food on the island um, all the way up to the point where, you know, say, you know, the whole goddamn island is just one big whole garden or something like that. Um, you know, the, the rate at which people will, being supported by that, you know, that ever-expanding garden on the island, the rate at which they'll grow will be much faster than the island can eventually support. So the island is, that's the over part, is that the population goes over what it can be supported at. And so that's that's the over part. The thing I say is you said, oh, we haven't reached our carrying capacity yet. And I think, well, my thinking is that we just keep changing the capacity to support ourselves. Um, and there's all these... I went to this site at Columbia. You know, there are all these things like soil-free farming, you know, where they just like spray the plants, you know, that we would eat or whatever it is um, with water and they have nutrients and they have these LED lights that effectively do the same thing as sunlight. So they just have that coming down on the plants all day long and or whatever. And then they just stack it up in these huge warehouses. So they just build up, you know, mm -hmm. which is all like, I mean, Christ, we've probably all read science fiction books where that was, you know, on the cover or something like that, you know, and, but there's, you know, that's just sort of how they are able to produce, you know, something like they yield is like almost, you know, hundred like over a hundred times that of conventional farming they claim or whatever. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, so that's going to improve it. But I mean, already, as you're saying, um, you know, there's uh, already enough food. It's just that we have these sort of social islands, if you will. Where people, and this is something that Malthus talked about, this is something that Paul Ehrlich talked about, this is something that I, I think most um, academics, for instance, or those involved in um, this kind of uh, work talk about, and that is that, yeah, we've got enough food to, to feed everybody, uh, it's just that there's, you know, a lot of historical politics that gets in the way, and so maybe... We've uh, supported dictators in some places because back in the day, you know, they weren't going to be communist. And so we're like, yeah, you're great. 
but those guys are dicks and they take it all for themselves and they leave nothing for everybody and then there's no way to reform the land and to do things that would benefit the populations that are there at that time, you know. Um, you know, and they're also trying to find new ways to do business with agriculture and trying to get people involved in different ways. Um, you know, so there's, I guess there's just a lot of, a lot of different things. Uh, well, we talked about, I think, was it the last uh, episode we talked about growing meat in a lab or whatever, you know, like, uh, if we can do that, then I guess we don't, may not need the cattle that are roaming around farting all over the place or whatever, destroying the riparian zones. Um, so I don't know. I mean, so that, those are all things that could increase, um, the, uh, the carrying capacity for us. And we're already able to do it, but because for political reasons, we suck at like distributing that stuff. I don't know. Um, anyway, so that's sort of where I would go in terms of that question. This is one of the places where I'm human exceptionalist. And I don't remember if you have a problem with that or not. I think because of our facility for technology, we are not subject to Malthusian laws in the same sense that idiot animals are. We can design hydroponic gardens and we can even potentially get off the planet itself and expand our environment to either space stations or terraformed things or find another habitable planet already we and all we can technologically increase the carrying capacity of the universe for human beings faster than we can ever grow the population, no matter how many idiocracy members have too many babies. <laughs> yeah. We, of course, But as you were mentioning, we currently are on a mixed trajectory, where to some extent we're doing those things, but to other extents, for what I would call bad reasons, which include most political or economic reasons, uh, we suck at doing it. It's the tragedy. We've of got the all the food, but we can't distribute it properly. Okay, yeah. All right, let's bring that in. All right, tragedy of the commons. You're like, all right, we got this common thing, and we've got a tribe who can all access it and use it. It is a necessary question mark. <laughs> Here it you is go. a tendency for cheaters to prosper, so that it is. Um, it's motivating, it's encouraged, it's an unstable strategy, but it's at least temporarily good to take advantage of, to break the rules, if there are any rules, to your own advantage. And this is, we just get all Randian and Gordon Gecko-y and selfish and whatever, right? That if your populace who's accessing the commons has this trait of selfishness, then there will likely be a tragedy soon to follow. Yeah. That doesn't seem necessary to me. Again, it has to do with the ideas, and if the people utilizing the commons are infected with the socialist memes sufficiently, 
then they will all recognize, oh, and it would be more like a fallacy of the commons than a tragedy. They would just say, oh, yeah, well, I'm not going to overutilize because if I do, then this wonderful situation, which is currently working great, will break. So I'm not going to do it. And if everyone understands that and chooses to abide by it, it they could have their good old utopia instead of destroying it. It's about the ideas, right? And we're about the ideas, right? We try. We try, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's... That's good. Yeah, that's all... Oh, yeah. That's even better. Um... Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Um... But to me, that's kind of... I'm the, just saying... Yeah, yeah. I get the tragedy of the commons thing, and it seems like a tendency, but it also seems that it relies on an assumption about the population which is utilizing the commons, and that not all populations would be subject to tragic outcomes. Those which had a different orientation, a different set of norms, a different mindset may not create a tragedy. Yeah, and I if you're just trying to say of all the various alternatives that are out there in terms of groupings of individual, let's say, human beings for the sake of our not knowing any robots that do this or aliens or whatever... Um, then yeah, I think that's totally fine. One of the things I think is that at least that they would, a person who's, who like the Garrett Hardin guy would probably say, well, yeah, but it's a tendency and it's a strong tendency. Yep. That's Um, fine. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's what you don't want. And that seems like it's all too easy to happen. Um, I had stuff to say. I just didn't, for some reason, I I, uh, I didn't catch all of it. You said enough that I was like, oh, there's a couple things. And then I was like, I don't know. Um, you just listen back to it. Oh, we, we no, I can't. Do it. <laughs> I totally am like, press pause. Rewind. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Oh, I got to talk to you about that real quick. Live, like I when I think of live, I think of like it's happening, you know, at the same time. Like you can tune in and and you, whatever they're gonna say is not. It, it may be recorded, but it's not pre-recorded or whatever. We're definitely pre-recorded, and uh, we're live in the sense that I don't know what you're gonna say next, and and uh, it's not scripted. Well, that's not the only sense, and also the sense in which we don't go back later. And we don't record four hours and select the good two hours. No. You know, whatever happens, happens. So I think that the phrase that they use, is it not, is recorded live. And that's not an oxymoron. Yes, it's recorded, but it's also live in those other senses. Sure, that's fine. But I think most of the time when somebody like, 
Joe Rogan, beep, 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 says we're live on the podcast. He, he means, you know, you know, if you were to tune in, you'd be tuning in midway. This is just up, you know, for everyone to see at any time, whoever's tuning in. kind of thing. Well, except now. with him and with some others, they live stream that's what to I mean. YouTube while they're doing it. That's, so That's what I mean. Like that That's even live. more live than oh, our sure. version of live. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, telethons or whatever. That's not a live stream. That's just live, right? Like, Rick Steves, well, what do you what have to say the- about France? And he's like, well... And then it's awkward. Anyway. <clears throat> Except for the famous five-second delay or whatever, right? Well, between us. Even live things, you got to let the sensor step in between and have a button. Oh, well, maybe. <sighs> that guy's got his finger on the button if he's, if he's got me on his program. <laughs> Fuck shit, bullshit, motherfucker. Um... Oh, wait, what? Oh, I think I missed it. I was oh. Anyway, we're like, what? I'm trying to remember, and this is obviously not helping me, but um, yeah, the. I think we're increasing our carrying capacity, and I think um, anytime that we find ourselves in a situation where people aren't being supported, it might be a tragedy of the commons scenario. Um. Period. What are the typical results of an overpopulation situation or event for a non-technological species of our sort? But if some just regular animal... <laughs> You know, we're a special animal. If a regular animal overpopulates, what happens? One of these days, I'm totally going to take the the bait, and I'm just going to go and I'll tell you what I think, because I've got ideas about these things. And that these latest podcasts, where I'm the main driver, are all just sort of like a slow burn lead up. Um, <laughs> uh, but I guess there's... For a while there, the thought was that um, even if you keep increasing the carrying capacity, that, you know, and this is primarily based out of just uh, models, uh, mathematical models, that there was something called the enrichment paradox or the paradox of enrichment. And it was the idea that, like, it, it just, you know, when you grow your resources and increase the capacity for a species, or lineage or whatever, member of a community, ecological community, and their populations grow intensely, um, they collapse. You know, they just they just can't. It's like so, mathematically they just couldn't handle it or whatever. I know that sounds weird to say and probably incorrect. Whatever. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just thinking of these like deer being like, I can't handle this mathematically. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so anyway. Um, so... The, the that was kind of a thing for a while that made everyone it was sort of sobering or whatever people thought oh crap you know like you know if we wanted to if this was good for I don't know salmon fisheries or you know farms you know or something like that we got we can't just grow them like we just can't keep feeding them or the whole thing might explode or whatever 
you got to be careful, man. And this is also at a time when they were discovering, you know, they were learning new things about, you know, chaos theory and different functions that had that kind of behavior, definitely applying it to population biology. And um, later on, it, it looks like, well, you know, having a, a network, an ecological network, has a buffering effect on that uh, problem, but also that other things have buffering effects, like uh, there can be induced defenses in the actual resources if they're like a prey item of some kind. Um, they, If they're getting preyed on too much because they're growing intensely, then they can kind of uh, come up with a defense that, that is induced um, by the actual in, uh, enhanced or increased predatory behavior of their main predators. And that can slow it down because then now the predators have a greater amount of handling time and choice and lots of that kind of stuff. Um, there are various other factors as well that are, that are involved, but those are just say two that seem to sort of buffer this kind of situation. Um, but primarily uh, because of these networks, even if you are growing to, you know, your capacity, you know, overshooting it tends to just be met with death. I think, you know, like on an Island or something like that, if some, you know, some, some number of animals find their way onto an Island, they just more or less grow to meet that level of resources and they don't tend to overshoot it. And so we're starting to, what's starting to emerge uh, in this conversation is the idea that, well, you just go and meet capacity and you've got that logistic curve where it just flattens out after it kind of exponentially increases. Um, or you just keep increasing the capacity and you just keep growing to, to, to meet it, you know? Um, so those are two things that are kind of on the ecology side that I understand anyway. And that's another thing that we could be exceptional about though I don't know if there are any good examples of it happening so far. The stupid animals are going to have a tendency to hover around the carrying capacity, right? Stupid Because if you make a few too many, you'll die. And if you don't make enough, then there's space for more, so you'll make more. You're really making Ricky Gervais angry by calling them stupid. If I'm making Ricky Gervais angry then we're already winning. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I interrupted you with my bullshit. Ah, you didn't get me that time. But we could, because we are smart, as a society, choose our own level and maintain it through whatever mechanisms you want to put in place. Individual choice birth control, selective pruning. <laughs> like, we could set our population numbers and hold them steady for as long as our politics was able to maintain its hegemony. And we would not need to Malthusianly be slave to our environment's carrying capacity. Right? I don't know if that matters on this. 
Another way we're special. Well, it's funny you say those things because why would we want to keep growing? <laughs> like the part of the issue is that, you know, we keep growing. So you're saying like, ah, we can break from the Malthusian tradition or dilemma or whatever by just increasing our own carrying capacity. We're exceptional that we can kind of do that for ourselves. And I don't disagree with that, but I would also like to say that we could also potentially break the Malthusian thing by not growing exponentially, you know? No, right, yeah. That's that's what I just meant to be saying. Oh, Earlier I was saying we can increase the carrying capacity, but now I was saying we could also choose not to reach our current capacity, but rather to either choose not to have babies or kill some of the babies by our own choice so that we, you know, and we can just pick a population uh, neighborhood and maintain it. Yeah, I, I, that that would be, to me, like, that would free us up from having to, like, solve all these problems or come up with solutions to the few problems we have or whatever it is the way it's supposed to be said. Right, Ralph Nader? Um, you know, that would mean that we don't have to, like... <laughs> like devote all of this like energy to like growing food in like skyscrapers, you know, or, or in buildings as tall as skyscrapers, you know, like we could do some other stuff instead, you know, but instead we're like, no, we're just going to keep having more children. And to supplement that, we have to do these huge projects. It's like, well, don't you want to go to Mars? No, I want to build this tower. There's a need, you know, or whatever, you know, it's going to got a lot of, arugula in this tower and i gotta sell it don't grow more arugula <laughs> jesus don't don't buy into this arugula is disgusting wouldn't that right? be great objectively and completely inappropriate they would and we do not need more of it they would have like there would they would there'd be the sugar to make the little caramel or candiedness you'd have the 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 pecans growing in a tower next to the pears next to the people making the blue cheese or gorgonzola and next to the arugula and maybe next to the people making the the balsamic you know you could have these little neighborhoods where it's like they all just you know they could almost come together and make their little packages of the kind of the types of salads and things like that sounds good (laughs) (laughs) all right we're Totally off-roading now. Well, you wanted to talk about the ecology for once, and I'm like, but the psychology. And you're like, fuck that shit. Let's go back to the ecology. It's the weirdest. It was temporary. We're going back to psychology right now. Um, so it's hard to deal with it. There's too many other people. I mean, yeah, I also find that one of the dizzying things to think about. Most of the time, the natural state that I'm in, which I assume is primarily the nurture half of my nature-nurture mental construction, is that I'm a pretty important, to me, at least, and that Everything that happens to me matters. That's my standard, you know, you wake up in the morning and what you're going to do next is pretty important to you or some very 
objectively minor thing seems like the end of the world. One of the ways it manifests is just plain old statistics, right? Like you think, oh, whatever, some big deal. Oh, there was a miscarriage or something. Ah, I'm devastated. But then you go read about it and you hear how many of those happen on earth every day. And then you do the old, oh, like I think you mentioned this earlier, like, oh shit, seven of those happened in this second somewhere on earth or whatever. The number, who cares what the numbers are? It really makes a person, it it creates a lot of cognitive dissonance. Because in one sense, I'm no different than the rest of them. From the view of statistics, I am one number among 7.7 billion. From the point of view of psychology and existentialism, I am one among one, and I am all that matters. You know? And so when you contemplate that gulf, it can be intense. In my problems, I want to be no different than anyone else. I want to be part of, you know, the ho-hum. In my solutions, I want to be different. And whether this is, you know, you could say maybe related to being in a crowded environment, you got more people to relate to about your problems and stuff like that. And your interests, I suppose, to an extent, you being at the top of that list, I suppose, of interests. But in terms of your own output, you know, maybe we have been given this sort of individual Lockean or whatever um, story there's this I almost think that that story is born out of the overall story that you realize you're just one of the herd you know it comes from that you know that oh but I don't want that it comes from the rejection of Malthusian dynamics or whatever like we were just talking about but to come to perhaps the 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 you know understanding that even you know that's just wishful thinking or whatever is kind of the difficult thing you never it, it, i become quite myself tentative about my next steps you know what i mean i i, I hesitate a little because i'm not exactly sure it's sort of disorienting you know because you're not sure what you're doing is actually just you know part of the machine or if what you're doing is beneficial, you know, in a way that's not going to suck the resources out of you later, you know. I don't know how if I I'm not figure I haven't thought about this. So we're kind of we're doing it live like Harlan wants us to say. Um all right. So I'm not I haven't I'm kind of thinking this stuff out as we talk. I get there, I get close and then I I like almost lose it, but I'll, I'll I'll let you talk now. Maybe it'll, I'll, it'll start to solidify. Is something you said near the beginning of that? You want your problems to be heard problems, but your solutions to be individual, unique, super special 
solutions. It doesn't have to be super special. It just has to be, I got to this patch first and I get to eat that patch. You know what I'm saying? That's the individual thing. That's why I'm saying it's couched within the Malthusian dynamics. It's, oh yeah, I want my problems to be everyone else's problems because I don't want to be eaten by a lion. You know, if we all look the same, run around together, you know, who knows who he's going to choose or whatever. But when it comes to like, oh, I, you know, this is a fresh patch of like delicious vegetation. This, this arugula is delicious. Um, you know, I want to be kind of first on the scene. It's sort of a resource-oriented thing to me. What that made me think of, and I don't know if it relates to what you're thinking or where you're coming from, is about the, again, vague psychological concept of a temperament. And I kind of wanted to call your description aptly the scientific temperament. I think that it appears to be a tendency among scientifically oriented people that they prefer to step into an established problematic and attempt to resolve it than if you resolve it, you get a fancy Nobel Prize and you're a big <laughs> fucking deal. That's what I want. I want a Nobel Prize. I tend to interpret myself more as someone, not with a philosophical temperament, because philosophers are awful, but I kind of wonder if I have more of an artistic temperament, and I want to say of the artists, that they resist even wanting to play within an established problematic. Because that first part of, well, I'm fine if my problem is a regular problem, I would just like to have a mildly novel solution. I don't even want... i like, nah, man, I want to just invent an entirely new problem. What? I don't know. Um, question. Uh, when you were talking about how... Because I, I got the whole problem thing from you. So when you were talking about it in that way that... You know, oh, you know, hey, I'm not the only person who's had a miscarriage or, you know, like this isn't a, you know, it's it's something that happens, you know, and that and that there's room to be okay with that, you know, and that it's not a failure of mine or something like that. That was, I think, the positive, right, that you were saying? You mean, I don't even know, I wasn't using at least the vocabulary of problem, right, in that case, maybe. I don't remember, recall. Well, that's not what I want you to... That's not the question I'm asking you. I'm asking you, was that scenario, whatever the word is, that was a positive spin, right? In the sense of finding a way to be okay with something that is upsetting. And related to numbers. Like, oh, there's lots of us who have this problem. Or whatever. Okay, that that would be one of the ways to mitigate the psychological pain that you'd say well lots of people have had to deal with this so then it hurts less right that seems to be a tendency it does personally for me that doesn't work very well but i hear that that's a thing okay so that you were just saying was just a thing i see um because but this is just you know for whatever psychology is a giant mess and we people can just say whatever they want to say especially the patients 
um, I see myself as so different than most of the rest of you that I used to use the phrase often, I am not a human being. That was just wishful thinking. I'd rather not be a human because I don't particularly respect most of you. But to hear that a bunch of other humans have kind of gone through the same thing if I'm having a difficult time about something doesn't personally do anything for me. Because I just think something like, well, yeah, whatever. They went through the same thing, but it didn't feel as bad to them as it feels to me. Because my emotions are <laughs> more intense than yours. You know, that kind of stuff. I hear you. I definitely hear you. So, but then you said you wanted to create new problems as an artist or something like that. That you feel like you have more of an artistic temperament. I'm not quite sure how I... I don't know. I, personally, I don't know if that would... I think artists are more like scientists and it's sort of the creative enterprise. But that's, I think, neither here nor there. But I, I'm not quite uh, locking in on that. But that you want to create more problems is like an endeavor of yours. It's not like you want to create more health problems for yourself, though, right? I mean, you, like, you're talking of, like the intellectual realm or you know, just in general, a challenge of sorts, you know, that you feel like you can work towards. It almost sounds like you're like, I want to make more goals for myself. You don't think I want to create more health problems? <laughs> well, then listen to all the beers that get cracked open over here now. <laughs> yeah, um, this is your leaving Las Vegas. A very slow version of that. Was there some direct question I was... I, well, you here. did you did address the positivity thing, so that's you were just mentioning that because it's something you heard by, from a little birdie that you know there's commiseration in numbers or whatever, um, and that that can be a positive thing. The negative side is that you know um, that means you still have to share the same damn patch and. There's not as much to go around and you, you know, when you're in the herd, you feel like, ah, you know, especially when you're in the middle of the herd, you feel sure you're maybe safe, but the ones in front of you just ate what you would eat. So what the fuck, you know? Yeah. What? <laughs> I'm not finding traction. All I was doing was, was, um, um, re-summarizing or whatever. What we were talking about. You answered yep. the question. You don't care about the positivity thing. That's all. That's all I was saying. Um, Just get off the bus. You fucking what? No. 80-year-old idiot. Don't you know the There's buses are too many are people children? on this bus. Yeah. Not sure. I don't remember. I think I addressed your exceptionalism in Malthusian thing. I don't know where we are now. How do you like that, 2.5 listeners? It's To back up to something that I said earlier, I'll try to re-say it super quick and let you address it instead. It's really weird, to use the jargon, to be one of many and to be, apparently, a subject. To think of... To spend a lot of to spend more time with yourself than with anybody else, and 
through that habit, develop the tendency to interpret yourself as important, as the so-called star of your own movie or whatever. But then when, in various moments that can be somehow stimulated, you realize, oh my God, so do seven billion others that are, in many respects, no different or equivalent to me. Like, that's fucked up. How do you deal with that? Right. Well, that's my whole, that's my dilemma. That's where I'm, (laughs) that's where I'm at, is the idea that, um, I mean, that's just another way of saying it, I guess. And for me, it's, it's partially paralyzing, but it's not, it doesn't stop me from moving forward or whatever, you know, like I'm not just like utterly depressed or whatever. But in part, that's because going back to that Ehrlich guy, like, there's a sort of intellectual understanding and a, an emotional one. And that the emotional one tends to be quite fleeting. The intellectual one is there to go back to the file and pull it out and examine it again. But like when you're interacting with the world or with something, you can have those moments where you just think, oh, fuck. You know, it's not just simply that this is, in my opinion anyway, it's not simply that I'm bothered that everyone else has, you know, is the star of their movie. It's that I'm in the middle of the herd. I'm just an oarman. And, you know, what I worry is that I, what I think is a, is a fresh grass isn't, you know, that the privilege of fresh, fresh grass is at the margins of the herd, you know, and, and that if I were to benefit from being on that spot, then it's going to require quite a bit of work to get there unless I was born at the margin. And so the worry is that I don't know if I can get there. And I guess it's just an individual survival mentality where everything actually is okay. It's like we just sort of taken the, the anxiety about, having enough food and water or whatever, shelter, those kind of resources. And we've just sort of overlaid them on something else, like this Lockean individual thing, you know, or whatever. And so it just keeps getting perpetuated. And maybe that headspace also goes into how we do business and how we do politics and how we do all these various uh, things that we do. Um, and that it just keeps kind of going so that our cultures and our society and all the dynamics that go into the growth of those kinds of um, types of anthropogenic systems are just a homologue, not an analog, but a homologue. They are just simply derived. They have inherited that Malthusian uh, way and it just keeps perpetuating itself. And so we need to like, You know, if we don't want that, then we would need to change something. But in any case, just living in it and coming to that thought a number of times has always stopped me short, you know. And I, again, I equate it with the idea of going, oh, I'm just a speck on a speck and isn't the universe grand. That one can be a little more empowering. This one's a little defeating, I feel. Or feels that way given certain other 
axioms that you currently have, couldn't there be a sort of neo-Buddhist resolution to this problem that involved accepting your position, Norman the Orman, and not attempting to clamor over the heads of everyone else to get to the fresh grass to mix metaphors drastically, <laughs> but rather to attempt to engage in an individual psychological process of accommodating yourself to your current position. I'm not going to struggle to get the grass. I'm going to struggle to stop caring about getting the grass because though the stuff I've got now isn't green and fresh and plentiful and it sustains me, it's good enough. I've got this. This is okay. And that you can maybe stop this wheel of capitalist competition and uh, red and tooth and claw, whatever, and just uh, take what you've got, look around, acknowledge that other people also have that, and just agree to all be satisfied and try not to suffer in that. Yeah, I, that I'm... So I say A, and you keep saying B. <laughs> so yes, that's fine. But that would be the way to get to it. What would be one way to kind of deal on like a personal level? Another way is to be born into a system where we account for how many of us we're going to let be, you know, um, on the earth. Um, that also probably requires a change in thinking. These all sound like solutions to deal with the problem. The problem is what it is, though. Right, but you like those. You like established problems. Sure do. So you should be in hog heaven here. <laughs> We've got a nice problem that a lot of people have. Probably billions. <laughs> Thousands of millions. Billions and billions and billions. Oh, yeah, there you go. So now you can try... To come up with your Pulitzer Pri uh, Nobel Prize winning solution to it. All right. I'll take it from here, Highland. So, folks. No. Um. <clears throat> Drum roll. <laughs> yeah. Submission tape. <laughs> yeah. This one involves me eating really spicy food. If you, Yeah, I don't know where that reference came from. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I didn't come here thinking that I would have a solution. I was just gonna wallow, uh, but you're all like one-upping me with your solutions, your Buddhist solutions about things. What about a legal one? Can I sue anybody? Is there a way I can kind of get some kind of legal vengeance on the world? As I understand it, it's extremely easy to sue people. Mm. Slightly less easy to win those lawsuits. Can you can you sue at random? Um, I believe so, but it might just be dismissed out of hand. You might not even get a hearing. But as long as you're willing to pay the lawyer, they will file the papers. And once you've filed a lawsuit, then you have sued, I think. But you won't. If you don't have standing, 
you may not even get a hearing, but you've still sued them. But yeah, there's you know all kinds of stuff about you have to be harmed or something in order you have to meet various standards even to get I have been harmed. into the I have been room. harmed and Danielle Sanders in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma is just a cog in the wheel and she's doing it to me because everything's connected and it's all part of the same thing <laughs> and we're all stardust and we came out of the same star and therefore when she had her 16th baby yes and I'm part of the same Malthusian system as her. The fact that she had another kid harmed me, and now I've been harmed, so now I can sue. Don't throw it out, Judge Kavanaugh. I mean, well, it's way later. No, throw out time. Judge Kavanaugh. Don't throw... Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> uh, Is that close enough to outrage? Are we getting our calls to action established here? Yeah. You should have cracked right, a beer well, at that moment. I was going to say something. You were? Yeah, I know. I ran, I ran out of cans in my vicinity. I, me too. Me too. Hashtag me too. Oh, fuck. Now, that was probably diminishing. Right? <laughs> oh, when you take a very, very common phrase and you make it like the okay sign saying me to Jesus Christ. Uh, fucking people. It just, there's too many of us. Oh, we're back to square. That's wide. something. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We're overpopulated with outrage. Overpopulated. Yeah. With bad ideas. Yeah. And bad music, by the way, bad movies. Everything sucks. All right. Now we're doing aesthetics. <laughs> no. Oh, wait, I definitely want to do aesthetics. One thing I don't want to do is waste people's time. So that was the other. <laughs> this could be one of the short ones. <laughs> you know? All right, so you think we've already run out of uh, structured, prepped prompts? Well, I mean, I feel like I've like a little therapy session for me here. Um, I feel better. <laughs> Like, you know. I can't let it end here then. Uh oh. You're going to make it, me feel bad? I bet well, you yeah, I'm not interested. You can't leave here feeling better. Oh, God. oh, okay. Typically, our shows end in the phrase, we're fucked, right? <laughs> the last one that I, or the one of the last ones that I, anyway, one of them, I, yeah, anyway. Fuck, go. Make me upset. It doesn't, the psychological aspects of tonight's discussion haven't even had anything to do with overpopulation. <clears throat> They've just had to do with population itself. I am one amongst many. Whether or not there are too many conspecifics in my environment that are care. this doesn't have anything to do with carrying capacity. It just has to do with, I think I matter, but there are... X number of apparently equivalent entities to me. So how does this, how does the psychological distress of being one amongst a population even relate to the ecological concept of overpopulation? 
Because wouldn't it be the same thing if there were 200 million of us instead of 8 billion? Either way, that's a lot, and it's still dizzying to the mind. I mean, I think I understand what you're saying, but I also think this is be the, this would be the third time I tried to answer it <laughs> with the same answer, no less. I'm uh, listening this time. It's <laughs> classic. Well, I said it best probably the second time. I am probably going to fuck it up this time, and you'll be like, wrong. I'm right. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying this whole I'm special thing is just the 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 stupid animal put onto our social constructions or whatever. Like it's just the same old story just done in a different way. So um to be more specific, which I don't want to be because it's the feel like the third time of trying to say this talking about the cattle and the grass and all that shit you realize that you're just you know a thing and that really the only objective or goal or whatever to being a thing like a cow or whatever is to get access to the best resources you can because your other goals might be to reproduce or something like that and if you get access to the better resources, you're healthy and you're strong and, you know, you're able to evade certain kinds of troubles, but you're also able to feel maybe even better than you normally would. And also, if you're getting what you need, there's always that feeling, you know, it's like, yeah, you're living paycheck to paycheck, but on payday, you feel good. So you want to keep that feeling of payday. And... um you don't want that feeling of like the middle of the week and you got no money. Uh, and so the answer that I have for that is that we've just taken that feeling of um, there's not enough. And, you know, for me, just as a entity, a biological entity or whatever, just trying to get by and chew my cud. We've placed that onto our larger social engagements um, we're not, you know, the kind of organism that like a herd faces all in the same direction. We kind of face each other. And so there's a different dynamic, but we've taken that same stress, I feel like, and placed it on that. And, um, you know, one of the ways that, uh, we kind of do that is through this idea that you're an individual and this story that, you know, you're special and that what you have to contribute is important and that you will benefit, you will reap the rewards of that individuality that you possess. And when you realize that you're not any different than the next guy to the right or the left or whatever, all of a sudden that all comes into question and then it becomes more about, well, how close am I to that fresh grass? So individual is just another way of doing this other more Malthusian problem. Okay, what I wasn't... I wasn't oh, listening. Fucking Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you again. You can listen. You can listen to the podcast when it comes out. And you can be like, oh, fuck. Okay. Uh, all I'm saying is that, um, no, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> and you can't ask your stupid Lockean bullshit individual question again either. So we haven't reached two hours. If you have any new ideas, go ahead, Harland. 
Something you said in there made me want to say... Yes! I mean... Those of you who think that Earth 2018 or maybe America 2018, the thing I have more familiarity with, though still not very much, thank God, that you that think we're living in any kind of meritocracy, I'm kind of envious of. It doesn't seem that way to me. Me neither. All right, that's not where you were coming from. All right. Nope. Jesus Christ. Fuck. I didn't realize it Well, when you're not listening, off. it's hard to just take... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. I've said it. I've said it three times more or less now. And I feel good about it. I'm back to feeling good, Harlan. Come on now. Give me just. Do you realize? Yeah, that get the, radical. You, that there are seven point seven billion humans no, on I Earth. I feel so bad. Man. Have you ever heard this? <laughs> so, I'm. Te- I, this is news to you, I think. <laughs> but listen, you are not special. <laughs> oh, let's not get into bad acting. Do you have no new ideas? Or are we cranking this baby out? I don't want you to feel comfortable at the end of this, like you, we've got somewhere because we haven't good. got anywhere. I've, oh, we're we gotten plenty, plenty where I feel like I've I've listened to what you had to say and realized how right I am. Just say something radical. Go ahead. I know you're you want to be like species don't exist, and I'm like, eh. but I know that's what's a population. Nice. There you go. It's just an aggregate of random things, Harland. Um, good question. What do you think a population is? What I just said? <laughs> Thanks, Brett. <laughs> I like beer. Well, yeah. What do you like? Do you, you like, like beer? Do you like beer? What do you, what do you drink, Mr. Whitehead? Or whatever. <sighs> I watched um, it. A population. I mean, I don't know, but I can. I don't What's... use the word. I think as often as you do. I prefer the term "class," maybe kind of, because that's to me connotes more obviously the relativism of the term that it's some scientist somewhere who has chosen to classify a set of ontologized entities under the same linguistic term. So a population in that sense would be something like a group in a region, in a space-time region that is classified by someone. I don't know. I don't... You can't ask me to do that thing. <laughs> I would say, say for for me, like when we talk about populations, when biologists talk about populations, what I think they mean is that all the activities of these individuals is centered around reproduction and the production of the next generation. And so I think that's really it's generative. It's not it's not uh, random in that sense. Um and uh so a population just is a breeding population that's just 
redundant. Well, I wouldn't say it's a breeding population. I would say a population is a group of uh, reproducing individuals or whatever in a particular area. Um, yeah. You know, located or whatever. Uh, but that they are that there's a relationship, you know. So there's brothers and sisters and cousins, and you know, and that there's that connection between them, or among them, and that there may be some immigration and emigration. There may be some coming and going, um, and the, you know that also plays a part. But ultimately, the goal is to play a part in a re, in a reproductive capacity, I suppose, or to exchange something among others um, in that way. I'm guessing you don't mean that, but rather mean the counterfactual ability to be a member of the breeding population. It doesn't matter if you actually do it, right? You're still in the population if you never actually have kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, and so they, they subdivide it. They'll talk about the census population or whatever. Which is essentially, you know, obviously like a census where you're just taking estimates or getting numbers down. But also, you know, it kind of stands in for like the overall population, the counterfactual aspects, as you mentioned. But then they'll talk about the effective population, which will be the number of individuals that that did end up breeding if it's a sexual um, population. But I suppose there are bacteria that might not end up actually dividing, and they die. And there are those that did d divide, and you could talk about effective population sizes in that way, I suppose, as well. I don't know. That's not very politically correct. <laughs> if you don't have kids, you just you're you're in uh, in the technical parlance an ineffective member. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's good. Um. But so those are the kind of ways that I think they tend to divvy it up. But it, essentially, it, the activities of a group of individuals centered around trying to breed, um, and, you know, and they, you could also, I suppose, say, hey, you know, they're also having an impact on the resources, you know, if, in in a particular area. You could, if you wanted to, you know, restrict yourself to biology, um, you know, you could say, well, maybe there's some geographical aspect, you know, you like you live on an island or whatever, you know, like that would be easier to talk about populations, perhaps. Um, I'm not saying that it isn't a concept, you know, that uh, in, in, you know, abstract form only or whatever, just that those are the kinds of things that matter to people who are trying to talk about these things, because nothing makes sense in biology except in light of evolution and evolution at least as far as biolo biological evolution is concerned seems to have a uh the things that seem very important to it are reproduction you know so there there's your answer from sort of wherever why should people have a right to have babies mm. do they have a right well i don't know they seem to think so and i guess in America 2018, they do. I always thought that people wanted people to have babies, at least in today's world, and probably for similar reasons in the past. But, you know, to have more people is good for the economy, right? 
Isn't that partly what the GDP is based on, is, you know, the population size? And so if you have productive population, um, and you obviously have lots of ways in which they can be productive, um, then that's good for the economy. Because hmm. people are invested in, you know, transactions and the market and all that kind of stuff. What I don't know what you mean by that. I would have thought if or to the extent or the interpretation that makes that make sense, that having more kids is good for the economy, would be coming from the point of view of a of an arch-capitalist asshole that was like, well, if there are more potential workers, then that, for example, drives down wages, which maximizes profits and whatever, or that it maximizes number of skilled it increases the average skill or some or the accessible average skill of workforce if there are simply more individuals because if there are more then there are probably more that are good at the skill that i want them to be good at the skill that's relevant to me but were you saying something different i guess i'm just sort of trying to recall from what i understand from like adam smith you know um that uh you know that that we need um just more people to make the market work better because you have more people engaged in the market so more people are are you know more money is being exchanged and generated i suppose more value is being generated um and so it's more i guess perspective from this you know the the standpoint that well um, if more people can make more stuff, maybe that stuff won't be as expensive in 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 a way. Um, uh, but I, I don't have <laughs> I don't have it all like in front of me right now. Um, that's just as I kind of remember. Right. And I, I mean, this is going to be good stuff. If we only have 2.7 people that listen, mm-hmm. an hour 45 in, I'm sure both of them have given up. Now we only have 0.7 left. So that we can be irresponsible economists. I don't know anything. I haven't read Adam Smith personally. I've only heard other people talk about him a lot. But to me, that doesn't follow. If there are more people, there will be more value in your economy because that neglects the efficiency component. And it seems to me that there might be many situations in which a smaller populace would be so much more efficient that they would create more value through labor investment than an overpopulated region where the in where the populace was more invested in attempting to accumulate food for their table or whatever, so they were all stealing from each other. Who knows what? But I don't know anything about economics. It's tough because, yeah, now that we've lost most of the people, I guess it doesn't really matter at this moment, But uh, and we're within our two-hour rule of adding new ideas. Yeah, just be irresponsible. I think that it goes into the calculation of the GDP, the number of people that are working. Uh, and you know, 
investing in the economy. I don't know how else to put it to you. I, I understand. Oh, okay. So this is sound. If I understand what you're saying there, it's very heartless, pure math and statistics type. Um, you know, do some kind of sci-fi novelistic version of it where one of the things that the so we're in a society where a figure that you might call GDP is extremely important for morale reasons or something. We really want GDP to be high as a government so that we can tell our populace, oh, look, GDP rose 4% in the last year, and isn't that great? If one of the factors of calculating GDP is number of citizens, then it might benefit the people who care about GDP increase to simply and merely have breeding stations <laughs> that make more citizens and just have them in factory farming style small cages and we keep them alive with some kind of IVs or whatever but just so that we have more citizens so that therefore we can plug a larger number into our formula in for C which raises the number the GDP number. Is that kind of what you were getting at? Um, I, I guess that sounds like the matrix. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just, you know, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, that's just one crazy way to get at the problem. I suppose instead, I think they just realized that people like to fuck and they're like, well, just let them go, Bob. They'll be, here. they'll, they'll come that... to the table. That's the coming to the table is the problem, right? Because when you come to the table, you start banging your knife and fork and demanding resources. So we don't want you to come to the table. We just want you to be, <laughs> or some. Um, well, no, they don't want them to so just what, be. I mean, they need consumption and investment. You know what I'm saying? Like they need the people to buy stuff. They also need them to produce stuff. You know, so the. It's kind of a, you know, back and forth, you know, between the two. And so that's sort of the more people you have consuming and producing, the better. I think that's the idea. Well, we only want you to produce stuff if we own the product. We don't want you to go be an artist and produce intellectual property that belongs to you. We want you to produce widgets that belong to us. But we extract your labor, your energy, and quote-unquote pay you for it. But we've already paid you for the labor, so the product is still ours. And then we can turn the product into profit, but we don't have to pay you for that. Like That's totally detached now, because we paid you for the labor. And then once you produced something, your product is owned by us, and we can make an indefinite amount of product profit on your product. Because we paid for your labor. Yeah. And I, now we've really <laughs> gone into economics and left the overpopulation. But yeah, but I mean, I think that's, um, I don't disagree with what you said, I guess. Sorry. Feeling good, Harlan. Feeling real good. 
You can't feel good. <laughs> that was everything I just said was really bad. Well, I mean, or it I, strikes me as negative. Well, I think but. it's negative, and I, I, but I don't think that's off the mark from what people are doing. I mean, like Amazon and those damn sweatshop type environments where, you know, people get penalized if they go to the bathroom for too long or whatever. I mean, it's, it sounds like what you just described. You can't criticize Amazon anymore. They're going to raise their minimum wage to $15. Yeah. So they're now beyond reproach. <laughs> there was an onion on Twitter that I saw that was seemingly kind of funny, but I don't remember it. Ah! That's how good we are at this hour. Anyway, yeah. Um, nice question. Good answer. I think this is the problem. We should fade out us talking about economics. Like a long, slow fucking fade. <laughs> You've got your two hours. It's 150-something right now. Come on. That's not a two. Oh, please. <laughs> no. I, you Go ahead. Ask me a crazy question. I won't answer it. Uh, go ahead. I dare you. Why is why are surplus <laughs> problematic? So overpopulation automatically strikes me immediately as a problem, right? Oh well, it's over. It's too much. It's overpopulating. The rhetoric of overpopulation seems to indicate or assume or connote that it's a problem that needs to be fixed or addressed or whether or not the society that's engaging or noticing the overpopulation is capable of dealing with it or not. (laughs) Is that your question? Is overpopulation... (laughs) Even a problem or a quote-unquote bad thing. Well, I said I wouldn't answer. But fucking A, I guess you weren't listening. Oh, Ireland. Um, according to going all the way back to Malthus, the idea that you've got, um, you know, the rate of growth of people and the rate of growth of what they sustain their subsistence. I'm not saying that's what we think today. I'm just saying that's what he was thinking then. The idea is that we're overshooting what can be supported and there will be children that suffer and that is where it is quote unquote bad because people will starve and people will die (laughs) and all that kind of crap and society will collapse and there'll be uh, too much fear in the world and it's a bad thing and too many bad things happening is bad. All right, perfect. You've set up the follow-up question. Oh, shit. Because you wanted a question, right? Why is children's suffering bad? Uh, Sam Harris. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, if anything is bad, surely children's suffering... Shut the fuck up what you, why is it bad oh you're gonna you're gonna make a name for yourself tonight um i i mean i don't have a logical reasoning for that um other than you know i don't have a 
I don't have a way to give you the cold answer to the cold question you're asking. Um, I'll just start by answering that it's uh, has everything, at least for me, to do with uh, the hormones and just the emotional uh, investment that I have made in my own children and the emotional investment that I make in the relief of suffering of others. And that is the the primary driver for me to think about children suffering because um, for them, I always figured that the fear is is more amp, the amplitude of the fear is greater because it's just all very new. And so for them, the the sense that it's all coming to an end, they're it's all new to them, you know. And so that would seem worse when it's brand new, when it's something you've yet to be able to cope with or at least you've yet encountered. And so um, it seems like that is worse in the long run, perhaps, because it can have a huge effect on the rest of their lives and how they interact with other people, how they interact with society, how they, you know, how they operate. So in some ways, you perhaps you could make an inefficiency claim, like if you want to be cold about it, you could say, oh, well, you know, it just makes for really inefficient workers who need a lot of therapy and or they're, you know, in and out of prison or, you know, or they just can't seem to to, to be stable. And they say they'll be here at this time. They never show up, you know, and whatever it is, the suffering that was handed out to them when they were young has has had an imprint on the rest of their lives to such a degree that it becomes very difficult for them to be productive members of society and if we want what members we do have to be as productive as possible to be able to have as much flourishing there's your sam harris nod (laughs) um then i think you know you want to minimize the suffering because that's a distraction there's your cold answer the warm answer is because you know it just looks horrible and the emotional investment that you have uh, for anyone of a certain age translates all over the fucking place. It could be your kid, you know, and your whole role, your whole job as a parent is to, you know, the first thing is to keep them safe. And, you know, I just personally just, I accept all of the biological stuff that comes with that i don't even bother to overthink it or overthinking is another topic no um i don't think about it too much i just let it happen and it seems to be uh in some ways just the experience of being a parent you know is uh, the incredible joy and much of that may in the cold way of answering it may be just you know, um, hormones or whatever, or the whole collective of who, you know, what my individual organism is. Um, but in general, like, yeah, that's kind of where that's, that's the best I have at the moment. All right. Here, I'm going to, one of the things we often do is harken back to previous episodes. In the previous episode, we talked about the value of agreement and wanting to pursue agreement 
when constructing arguments. So I'm going to start by saying something that I think should have relatively swift agreement. What is something that kids are really good at? And my proposed answer is sucking at things. Okay. Kids are bad at stuff. They don't know how to do anything. Yeah. You ask them to, they're like, feed me. And you say, I don't know, you go cook something. And they're like, I, I can't, I suck at cooking. Take me to Disney World. I don't know, I'm tired, you drive. Well, I'm not very good at driving. Kids suck at everything. You know what? I, so if that's if that is our premise, it seems to immediately follow that they aren't very good at suffering. I don't think we should care about kids suffering as much as adult suffering because they don't know how to do it. You have to learn how to suffer. You can be a connoisseur of suffering well, and kids ain't that. They don't know shit about suffering yet. Is that edit-outable? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely edit-outable. Can I go on CNN now? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, immediately follows, huh? Wow. Yeah, you could... You're not wrong. You're just an asshole. Okay, I'm an asshole, but am I also wrong... At the same time. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> because what? Um, I think that you could have an evolutionary explanation that kids, um, you know, are, you know, calling out because, you know, it is more um, of a contrast in uh, whatever. the, the Their nervous system is encountering things in, you know, a much greater way because it is the first time and so what they've had everything since being born has been nothing but maybe to an extent quite painful because when they're in the womb it's warm it's wet it's you know they just you know they they never have to feel a whole you know uh slew of things even just like you know the the six senses or five senses um you know they you know, noises are reduced, like everything's just, it's dark, it's comfortable, they're sort of rollicking in a nice bath that's floaty. They're in fucking Joe Rogan's beep, 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 isolation chamber, like, you know. And then as soon as they come out, it's cold. Immediately, their nervous system's like, what the fuck is that? And they're they're wet, so the wet is doing the evaporative cooling. They're... um you know, get, you know, having to be crammed through a, a channel all of a sudden. So everything about their existence, like right off the bat, is worse. Um, and not only that, but their, you know, environment now is no longer this great, you know, immune system that's going to fight everything off like, you know, the mother's womb. Well, now they have to, their immune system has to get to work and start fighting it off themselves and start learning and figuring things out. I think there's a reason why so many children die without having the proper technology that we have now. More are born than can possibly survive because they just don't have the capacity to deal and to cope. 
So in some ways, I think that one actually suffers less as they get older. Like even like for myself, like like uh, spicy foods and pain is muted for me a lot more. Even even if I am you know depressed at times, and I know people say that depression makes people feel pain more. I think I've lived long enough that I've had quite a bit of crazy experiences. I've had operation on my my throat, like on the back of my throat. I had like an abscess. I've had operations where the anesthesia wasn't really kicking in yet. Like while I was awake, the guy was like getting in there. Like I've had all of these crazy painful experiences and suffering. I've had emotional suffering. I've been, you know, like, you know, relationships and all of that. And just... It's like an immune system. You just get better at dealing with it. So I would think that right off the bat, you're in worse shape. And so that's why we have to like be there with our children and make sure they get off the ground right. Because on their own, they should just die. They're they're what is known as altricial. They can't run. They can't walk. Like you just said, they can't do anything good for themselves and because they can't do anything good for themselves they can't do any of the coping mechanisms that might help like you know for instance they just lay there so the heart's got to beat like and and pump that blood around pretty much on its own it's not like a an antelope that stands up almost immediately and just starts running as fast as its parents that'll get the blood flowing you know i mean it's it's these kinds of things that i think with you know humans it's it's it maybe all they are is suffering in the beginning they have zero intellectual capacity, so all they have is the capacity to feel suffering. Nice. See, now we're getting into it. Well. Um, no, I, I liked parts about that. And just to attempt to rehabilitate, if nothing else, my ability to see through multiple reality tunnels, Ooh. I would say that to try to see the other side of the coin that I was intoxicatedly arguing earlier Mm. maybe one of the aspects that children are precocial at would be what they call resilience maybe they actually suffer significantly more than adults but they're extremely resilient and that's what becomes lost over time Uh as one's armor gets chipped away and so that even though the suffering is diminished. I for example, I liked your spicy foods example. Uh-huh. Kids are big wieners about spicy food and some adults become more inured against it and they can handle it and uh but it would a kid would claim that they're suffering significantly more when they ingest a hot pepper than some adults. But then also Probably, they will be totally fine 20 minutes later. Whereas if you (laughs) over (laughs) capsize an adult and they are like, oh man, they're whining about it three days later. (laughs) I've still got this chemical burn from when I ate that Indian (laughs) food the other day or whatever. Uh So that it's not that they suffer more, but just that they aren't very resilient. And kids are resilient. So their suffering appears insignificant in relation. But it's not actually less suffering. It's just that they are better at dealing with 
the greater side. How does that work? So that could be. Well, but how does that work with accomplishments? Because kids are accomplished. Like you just said, they don't know jack shit, but then they start doing all this stuff and they make all these accounts. They're like, oh, I'm reading now. You know, like they're doing all these things and, um, but then they just move on, you know, but we do something and we're all like, that day I rolled a turkey at the, you know, bowling alley i tell you you know like we always have these stories of our accomplishments when we're older and it's like man that was like 10 years ago you know it's like that um the uncle in uh i don't know if you ever saw napoleon dynamite but there's the uncle and he's just like he's just living in the past like when he was a the starting quarterback for the high school team or whatever and like he just like yeah you know i could have gone pro or whatever bet you i can throw a football over the mountains or whatever like all that kind of stuff like i wonder if it goes in that direction as well you know where we are our our sufferings we are not resilient to but we're also really not like capable of just shaking it off and moving on either you know just being like oh yeah like well next you know okay i did that i'm moving on to the next thing you know like I'm not going to sit there and talk about the time I did this great thing or whatever. People seem to do that a lot. It might have to do with, in part, just the prevalence of successes. And since, again, kids, this is getting down on kids again. Uh-oh. Like They haven't done very much. <laughs> so every time they do anything, oh, you put a spoon in your mouth that was covered in applesauce. Here's a medal. Yeah. You're so amazing. So, because given the context and given their abilities, almost any success is worthy of enshrinement. We're going to take a picture and we're going to put it in the thing and put it on Facebook. Oh, they took a step. Yeah. And nobody really cares when I take a step. (laughs) Well, you know, it's weird. There's like a fear, I think, that like they're just not going to pick it up. They're just not going to be like, oh, yeah, like... (laughs) You know, I just didn't encourage Jimmy after he ate that applesauce with the spoon that one time. And now look at him. He's like applesauce all over his face. He's like 18 spoons and utensils don't do anything for him. He's just like, boom, facing the applesauce. Anyway. Destined for the Supreme Court. (laughs) Oh, shit. That one's good. So what does this have to do with overpopulation? Nothing. Oh, crap. Nothing. Nothing. All right. We better get out of here then. Let's get the fuck out of here. Well, uh, it was nice. Um, I hope all the listeners, whoever they were, enjoyed it um, to for whatever reason. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome alright well till till next time on the Doddler's Philosophy Podcast keep populating keep it up peoples we're going down the road towards tiny cities made of ashes gonna hit you on your face Gonna punch you in your glasses Oh no Just got a message Said yeah hell is freezing over Got a phone call from the Lord Saying boy go get a sweater right now 
soon drinking, 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 drinking Coca Cola, Cola. I can feel it rolling right on down, right on down my throat. As we're headed down the road towards tiny cities made of ashes, gonna get dressed up in plastic. Gonna shake hands with the mass so long Does anybody know a way that our body could get away? Does anybody know a way? We're going down the road towards tiny cities made of ashes Gonna hit you on your face Gonna punch you in your glasses Oh no, I'm wearing a shirt Says the world is my ashtray Oh, it's palm dust And all hills Oh great Just got a message Saying your hell is frozen over Got a phone call from the Lord Saying boy go get a sweater right now Anybody know way that nobody could get away? Does anybody know way? And we're drinking, 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 drinking Coca Cola, Coca Cola. I can feel it rolling right on down, right on down my As throat. down the road towards tiny cities made of ashes. Gonna lay down in the bus Where they coach you in molasses Oh no Does anybody know Where the body could get